0: Well, hey, we're going to continue our sermon series today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, where we left it off here. We're going to be starting in verse 22. So if you have your Bible with you or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, feel free to go there uh, right now, Luke chapter 13, verse 22. If you are on the app, as always, you can click that more tab than events, and you can follow along here with Hillside Missionary Church. You can actually find all of the info that you normally would in the bulletin. Uh, right there in the app. Hey, Luke chapter 13, just a quick reminder, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem at this point. He is using everything that he can, every moment, every opportunity that he has to point people towards him. And he comes along here on his way to Jerusalem and somebody asks him a question. And just as like his common Jesus style here, he answers it in a very roundabout way, maybe not in a uh, quick and easy way like the guy was wanting, but in a full, truthful way that points people towards himself. Take a look here with me. It's Luke chapter 13, starting uh, in verse 22. This is what it says. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in your streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that day there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. People will begin, or I'm sorry, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. We're going to talk about this and what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, as always, let's go before the Lord. Let's ask Him for His help with that. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for your word here. We thank you for this interaction that you have with this man, that you have uh, led the gospel writers here to record this. We thank you so much for that. Help us to apply to our lives. Would you help us, again, not to leave this place in the same way that we came in, but to leave in a deeper relationship with you, encouraged to spread your kingdom right here on earth, God, to further it right here on earth. Help us to do that. Soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I wonder if uh, someone had no religious background at all. If they were just living uh, a typical American life, what would they think heaven would look like? Maybe they would uh, think that it looks like it's uh, all clouds, and uh, maybe you're just kind of floating in this uh, arena, and you're kind of half-conscious, kind of half not, uh, but you're just kind of up there. Maybe they think that there is a stairway uh, full of clouds that you walk up and you enter into this. Uh, maybe they've watched a lot of TV. Uh, they watched The Good Place, which is a TV show. Uh, I think they just canceled it. Maybe. I don't know. Sorry if you're watching. I'm wrong. I have no idea. But uh, maybe uh, they think that all you do is sit around with your friends and eat. Uh, ice cream, or in this picture, frozen yogurt. Uh, If you've ever watched an episode of that, that's what it depicts uh, much of. Maybe if you're my age and you grew up watching 90s movies from Disney, maybe you think as in the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven, we'll all get uh, halos and wings and everyone goes to heaven because uh, that's just what happens and we all turn into angels and float around for eternity worshiping the Lord. Maybe that's what uh, people would say. I don't know. All I know is that I think culture has a very warped view of what heaven looks like. A very uh, misunderstanding of what God has put forth. It's warped. It's self-centric. It's whatever we want it to be. And it's open to everyone who would like to have that. Instead, we get what Jesus actually tells us about heaven. There's a guy who comes up to him and he asks, Hey, are those who are going to be saved, those who are going to go to heaven... Are they few or are they many? Now, there's a common Jewish mindset among the Jews at this time that only Jewish people would go to heaven. Only Jews would be saved. You had to be in the line of the Jews to be saved. All the Gentiles would go to hell. In fact, it was an extremely gruesome picture that they had of all the Gentiles. Those are people who are un-Jewish. They're not Jewish people. They had this gruesome mindset that would say the Gentiles are the kindling to hell's fire. I mean, just a disgusting mindset. Quite frankly, it's a racist mindset against all of the people who are not Jewish. And Jesus, he comes in and he actually corrects him. Well, that's one mindset, but there's actually a very conservative mindset among the Jews as well that would say not only is it just the Jewish people, but it's the elite Jewish people. God has to call you. You have to do something incredible. You have to be incredibly faithful. You have to show God. You have to uh, show God that you deserve to be saved. That's a very uh, uh, conservative mindset, but it was a mindset out there. Other people on the more liberal side of the Jewish people would say, "Okay, of course all Jews are going to heaven, uh, but you know maybe there's a select few Gentiles as well. You know if they if they really are good people, if they really you know do some great things, and you know maybe those people would come too." This guy is asking Jesus this out of this mindset, although we know this to be completely untrue, though. And so Jesus, he's trying to answer him in a holistic way that's going to guide him to have a relationship with himself, and this is how Jesus answers him. In verse 24, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, for uh, Jesus to answer this guy like this, this is kind of scandalous. Not quite yet. He'll get in a little bit more scandalous territory for the Jews later on. But he would have already been thinking, okay, Jesus is maybe on the more conservative side of things. Maybe he thinks, that it's only the really uh, religious Jews, they have to do something very faithful, they have to do things all correctly, all their sacrifices, all of the rigmarole that the Pharisees want to put them through, they have to do all of those things. Maybe he's thinking that. We know that simply not to be true, though. We know actually what Jesus is referring to is himself when he says, enter through the narrow door. And I think the first thing that we have to realize actually before we talk about heaven and before Jesus gets to what heaven looks like is how we get there in the first place. And the first thing that we need to realize about going to heaven first and foremost is that there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. There is only one way. Culture would like to tell you that there is many different ways, that faith is almost like this mountain. And there's many different ways up this mountain to get to the top. You could take this route, uh, maybe this more indirect route, maybe this more direct route. That there's many different ways to uh, get to heaven, and uh, ultimately everyone can make it. Uh, Maybe even everyone makes it. Who knows? Uh, But that's what culture would like to tell you. (laughs) Excuse me. We know that simply not to be the case, though. In fact, Jesus corrects here, and he says, "Hey, it's only." through me, enter through this narrow door. In fact, this word that he said, strive to go through the narrow door, that strive word is actually the word that we get the English word agony out of. It was an athletic word. It was to say, you give it all. In other words, it's like a coach saying, Hey, you go out in the field, you leave it all out on the field. Okay. You strive to win. You leave it all out there. You give it your all. This is what Jesus is saying to his followers, and to the man who has asked him, hey, give it your all for the kingdom of God to get through this narrow door. Jesus is saying, I am the only way to heaven. Now, a lot of people would say, you know, I don't like that. I don't like the exclusivity of salvation only coming through Christ. Uh, I just want to follow in the ways of Jesus. This is a very common mindset right now. I just want 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 to follow in the ways of Jesus. You know, live my life in a really good way. Here's the problem with that, is that Jesus does not call us to follow only in His ways. He calls us to follow He Himself. That we can't just follow in the ways of Jesus, because ultimately all that is, is behavioral management. And we know that we cannot ultimately uh, change all of our behaviors, but through Christ we can give our lives to Him and He can transform us. Now, the Bible is constantly talking about the exclusivity of salvation coming through Christ and Christ alone. We all know this verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We know that, but also there are so many other verses. Later on in that same chapter, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Not whoever does good things, not whoever follows Jesus' good way of living, but whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus says this directly in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a lot of people who would like to say, you know, Jesus is a good teacher. The Bible has some good things to say. That's good enough. You know, you know. I, I want to take a little bit of Jesus, take a little bit of Hindu beliefs, take a little bit of karma, take a little bit of, oh, you know, I'm just being a good person here or there, or, you know, whatever it is. But ultimately, take a look at what John 14:6 says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot acknowledge Jesus as a good teacher and not acknowledge salvation only coming through Him. Because this is the main frame of what He is teaching. It is all built upon Him being the one and only way of salvation. And it's all throughout the Bible. It's not just in the Gospels as well. Take a look at Acts 4.12 with me. It says that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name in heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It only comes through Christ. Jesus is trying to get that across before he even talks about heaven. And then he gives us a small parable, a small example of what this could look like. Take a look with me here in verse 25. It says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Now, there's more to this example, but I want to pause right here to just let us know. There is a time where Jesus says this master of the house closes the door. A lot of people want to say, you know what, I, I'll i get my life together. I'll go accept Christ later on. Uh, but right now, I just want to enjoy my teenage years. I want to enjoy my 20s. I want to enjoy my 30s. Let me just get past this uh, season of life where I'm raising my kids. Things are busy. Let me just get past, you know, I'm, I'm trying to end my career well. And once I retire, then everything will be just fine. Or, oh, you know what, I uh, you know, retirement, Oh. I thought it was going to be this restful thing. There's a lot going on. we got grandkids' events that we need to go to. We've got this to take care of. Uh, you know, all these different things. Uh, I'll, just, I'll I'll just take care of this Jesus stuff later. Let me tell you, you have a limited time to accept Christ. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get across. Before He even talks about heaven, there is a limited time. It is not unlimited. You have a limited time to accept Christ. And once you breathe your last breath, that limited time, Is completed. Take a look at what James chapter 4 talks about our life. It says, Yet do you not know what tomorrow will bring? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Each and every one of us only have a limited time to accept Christ. So the encouragement I think that Jesus is giving to each and every one of us is there's no better time than right now to accept Christ. There's no better time to say, You know what? Life is short. I think you could probably ask anyone above the age of 65 in this room. Life is short. Life does not last forever. We have to accept Christ. We have to do it now. Jesus continues on in this little mini parable that he's giving. And he says, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, look at this, this is the master of the house. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers, of evil. It's pretty harsh what Jesus is saying here. But did you catch this? I do not know where you come from. They're saying, Yeah, yeah, but listen, we were around, we were eating with you, and it was great. You taught it right next to us and in our streets. Uh, we know who you are. And Jesus is saying, No, 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 I don't know who you are. Here's what I think we need to understand from this that Christian knowledge and association cannot save us. Mere showing up to church and having a lot of Christian knowledge is not good enough to save us. There are a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, far more than me. A lot more. They're much smarter and they know way uh, uh, more facts than he, any one of us here in this room. But unless they know Christ, unless they accept him as their Lord and Savior, they are not saved. Jesus makes this very clear. It's not good enough to show church. It's not good enough to click that you're a Christian on a survey. You have to know Christ. You have to accept Him into your life. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and allow yourself to be transformed by Him and committed to His mission. This is what the Christian walk looks like. Not just showing up to church. We've been over this passage before, but I want to read it again to you. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In my opinion, this is one of um, the harshest things that Jesus teaches, but it's a good thing because he's trying to get across, hey, listen, it's not good enough just to follow in my ways and do what I want you to do. I need to know you. You need to accept me as your personal Lord and Savior. One more thing that I think Jesus is trying to get across, and then we'll get to the fun part, talking about heaven. One more thing, though, that I think he's trying to get across as he continues on This is at the end of his mini parable here in verse 28. He says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's just pause there. I don't know anyone who actually knows what gnashing of teeth is. I mean, I have like a weird like mental picture of people biting, you know, but we don't know, but it does give us this picture of agony, right? I mean, think about when you're really mad. What do you do with your teeth? If you're anything like me, you kind of clinch them down. You're like, oh, like, right? You're just kind of mad. I mean, when the kids won't listen to you for the fourth time, you're like, come on, right? Like, do what I'm asking you to do. Or when traffic is not moving, or when your boss is just being horrible to you, what do you do with your teeth? Oh, uh, right? Like, ah, I'm just frustrated. And man, I feel like that's just a, a tiny little glimpse of what eternity without God looks like. Eternity in hell. He says there will be weeping, crying, there's gnashing of teeth. Look at this. Furthermore, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. You know what's interesting? I think this is one of the only passages in all of Scripture that we get a glimpse at the people in hell and actually what they're experiencing and what they perceive. Did you catch this? Ultimately, people are perceiving what is happening in the kingdom of God. They're perceiving what is happening in heaven. They see the prophets, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the other ones. They are uh, fully cognizant of what is happening in heaven, but they themselves are actually cast out. They themselves are eternally separated from the Lord. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to get across to us. That if we do not accept Him, we will certainly go to hell. It's something that many, many people in culture do not like to talk about. That Ultimately, Jesus is the only way to heaven. If we do not accept Him, we will go to hell. And I'm not trying to teach uh, you know, brimstone and fire and all those things. I'm not trying to scare you into accepting Jesus. I'm just trying to get across what Jesus is teaching here, which is the truth that if we do not accept Him, we will go to hell. Now, there are several people, uh, several people even who would claim Christianity, several mainline people uh, in the Christian world who would say, you know, God is so loving, He is so gracious and merciful. How could a good, loving God ever send anyone to hell? Well, that's the God that we serve. Take a look here, right here in Luke chapter 13, verse 28. But also, all over in the Bible, Jesus is constantly talking about this. Take a look at Matthew chapter 13. It says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and, again, gnashing of teeth. Later on in Matthew chapter 25, it says, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me. You are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave Me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me no drink. I was a stranger." And you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Later on in the Bible, in the New Testament, Second Thessalonians puts it like this. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And I think this verse particularly shows us what it is really like in hell to be eternally separated from God. And maybe the worst part of hell is not the weeping, the fire, and the gnashing of teeth, but the eternal separation from the God who created us with an innate desire to have a relationship with Him. Revelation chapter 20 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Later on in the next chapter, John gets this vision of what heaven looks like in chapter 21. But ultimately, many times when we see this uh, vision of heaven in the Bible, it's accompanied with a vision of hell. Take a look at it. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Again, I'm not trying to scare you into loving Jesus. I don't think that that's a good motivator at all. But I do need to acknowledge this is what Scripture teaches, that if we do not accept Christ, we will suffer an eternal death in hell. It's the truth. But the good news is that God doesn't just say, all right, good enough, you're going to hell. But that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross. In fact, Jesus doesn't want to just leave us with this brimstone and fire idea. He wants to give us a glimpse of heaven as well as he's talking about eternity here. I think this is really cool. These couple of verses that he talks about heaven. He continues on after this mini parable to answer this guy's question. This is how he finishes answering this guy's question. Did you catch this? It says, and people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at the table In the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. A few different things that I want to point out to you in these couple of different verses that Jesus is talking about heaven. Take a look at it. It says, Did you catch this in verse 29? People will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south. In other words, from all over the world, people will come to heaven. Now, I think the first thing that we need to get a glimpse of is to understand that heaven is filled with diversity that there will be people from all over the world. In fact, take a look at Revelation chapter 7. It puts it like this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. I want you to just take a pause. A great multitude that no one could number. In fact, in my study of heaven this past week, I looked, and it gives a measurement to the capital city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that God will create, that He will rule over it gives a measurement of how large that city will be. Just the capital city, not the new heaven, not the new earth, but just the capital city. It said it is 1,500 miles wide by 1,500 miles in height by 1,500 miles in length. I want you to think about that. That's the, that's the measurement of like Maine to Florida, 1,500 miles. That's just the capital city. Think of the great multitude that John is seeing here in his God-given vision of heaven. When he says, I see a great multitude that no one could number. I want you to just think about that. Every single believer from all of time that is gathered together worshiping the Lord. Billions, maybe even trillions, who who knows how many. It says that no one could even number it. And look at this. It says that they're from every tribe and peoples and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Heaven's going to be filled with a massive amount of diversity. People all over the world. So here's what I want to kind of push on, is maybe if you struggle with uh, being prejudiced, maybe if you struggle with being racist, maybe that you're not ready for heaven yet because there are going to be people from all over the world take a look at what james chapter 2 says my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our lord jesus christ the lord of glory in fact i think jesus is intentionally pushing here because and this would be especially scandalous to the jewish people that he is answering this question from that there are not just going to be jews in heaven but that they are going to that there're going to be people from all over the world which i particularly with someone who has no Jewish blood in him, I'm very glad about. I'm glad that God is a merciful and gracious God that extends salvation to each and every man and woman who walks on the face of the planet. Now It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if you grew up with a Christian background or without a Christian background. We all have that chance to accept God, no matter where we're from. I want to point out a couple more things before we run out of time here about what it looks like In heaven. Look at all, you have all these different people, and at the end of verse 29, he says, They're reclining at the table in the kingdom of God. They're reclining at the table. I want you to think for just a moment. If you went over to someone's house and you not have to bring anything, like there's just nothing, everything is provided. Maybe even you're meeting up at a restaurant, so there's absolutely no expectation for you to bring anything. And it is just the best service possible. I mean, this restaurant or this house that you go to, I mean, they, they just have everything prepared for you. I think heaven is going to be way better than we could even imagine in that regard. That we get to recline at the table of the kingdom of God. I think that heaven is going to be a place of rest. You know, there's a lot of toil and there's a lot of heartache in this world. There's a lot of anxiety and depression, a lot of relational woes. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of headaches and backaches and not being able to get up when your alarm goes off. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in this life. And take a look at this vision that John gets from the Lord about what heaven will look like. It's in Revelation 21.4. It says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more cancer, no more loved ones dying, no more tears and sadness. God's going to take that away. And there's going to be rest. I want you to think about all of the different things that you have to do to keep your life running. you got to put gas in the car and you got to do laundry and you got to clean the house and you got to go to the grocery store or go to a restaurant, pick up food. I mean, even things that have been mainlined in today's society to make it easier, it's still a lot of work. I get up at six in the morning every single morning. And I usually don't sit down to rest until 8 or 9 at night, right? Just to keep the household going, just to get everything that we need to get done, done. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot to do. Even if you don't have any kids, even if you don't have a job, even if you're retired and now is supposed to be a, a time of rest, right? You know very well there's a lot of heartache in this life. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of toil. Not in heaven. Heaven's a place of rest. I believe also that we will work in heaven, but it will be a restful work. It will be a satisfying work. Think about the garden. We talked about this last week. The Garden of Eden, before sin enters into the equation, what happens? God gives Adam a job to tend the garden, to name the animals, to collect food for himself. Now, we know that there is going to be work, but it will be a satisfying work. I want you to think about this. Have you ever done a project where it's just gone perfectly. I mean, everything just got done. It'll happen maybe once a decade, right? For most of us, unless you're just way better. For me, it happens like once every three decades, maybe once in my life, right? Like it just, it never happens. You're always running to the store. Something's always breaking. Something, you open it up and you're like, oh man, that's wrong too. Okay, now we got to fix that. Something's always working wrong, right? Think about just a satisfying work. Everything goes perfectly. Nothing breaks. Nothing uh, goes wrong. You see the project your timeline goes perfectly. It goes in. You have all of the things that you need, all of the tools, all of the materials. It just goes perfectly. Think of how satisfying it is. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like one of the most satisfying things to do after a project is done is just to sit back and go, ah, man, it's good. It's done. <laughs> and I like looking at it because it's all done. In fact, part of uh, mowing the yard, after I mow the yard, every time I, I stand in my front yard, I stand on the sidewalk, and I go, Oh yeah, some good looking lines right there. Perfectly straight. I got back and forth, you know. It's all perfectly trimmed. Ah, that's good. And then I hear a kid screaming and I go help him, right? But like, there's always, I, like, I like just that satisfying work. And I think that's how God designed us. I want you to think about heaven as a place of rest, but also as a place of ultimate fulfillment, where the God who created you to have a relationship with Himself is there. And you get to have that relationship and all of the characteristics in which He designed you with, all of the work that you really enjoy, He says, hey, now you get to do it, and it's perfect. And there's no more broken stuff. There's no more sadness. There's no more crying. There's no more loved ones dying. There's no more backaches and knee pains and headaches and anxiety and depression and relational woes and financial hardships. None of that exists. It's just us eternally worshiping God in heaven. And you might say, man, doesn't that sound boring? Like, is not that just sound really, really lame? I want you to think about just for a moment how much uh, more complex the Lord is than us. In fact, this guy's question, I think, proves it, right? This guy's question is so very basic, and Jesus is trying to give him a holistic answer here. He tries the best, but his mindset is just off. I want you to think about, for eternity, being able to discover new things about the Lord and discover His creation and to discover all that He created and all of the details and why He did it and to Fellowship with all the other believers together to see maybe your loved ones who love Jesus and have passed away. To fellowship with them once again. To worship the Lord forever. To do the things that He created you to do without the hardships. That's what heaven is. It's a place of rest. It's a place of uh, eternal worship of the Lord. It's a place where we can be with Him forever. One more thing that I want to point out to you. Here in verse 30, Jesus says, And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. One last thing I want you to write down. Heavenly standards are not equal to earthly standards. They do not equate to our earthly standards. In other words, there are going to be some people who you think are high and mighty right now, and they can do the most amazing things for the Lord. And when we get to heaven... They may be of pretty lowly standard. And vice versa is also true as well. There may be some people of pretty lowly standard here on earth. Maybe you identify with that. Maybe you're saying, man, I, I, I've never done anything amazing. I've never filled a football stadium worth of people and preached to them. Maybe I've uh, never gotten myself on the face of a magazine, and I've never been bragged on. Guess what? I want to encourage you. Earthly standards are not heavenly standards. Look at what Jesus says here. He says, Behold, some who are last will be first. Some who are first will be last. Jesus' ways are way above our ways. We get that from Isaiah 55. Look at this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want you to be encouraged today. Because there is a life to come. If you love Jesus, there is an end to the toil and to the strife and to the heartaches of life. Where those things will be no more. It will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know, when we have this hope, it changes us today. Um, I want want to just end by giving you a, a short example of that. There's a professor from Johns Hopkins University in the 1950s. Uh, His name was uh, Carl Richter. Now, Richter did some uh, gruesome experiments. This is what he did. He took a group of rats, and he took them one by one, and he put them in a bucket of water and watched how long they could survive and, and tread water for before they would give up. I mean, it was gruesome. It was awful. But on average, the rats lasted about 15 minutes before their demise. Then he took a second group of rats, and you know what he did? Right before they were going to die, right at that 15-minute mark, what he would do is he would reach his hand in there, he would give them rest, and then he'd put them back in the bucket after they caught their breath. You know how long the uh, rats lasted in that second group? Not, not just 15 minutes, not a half hour, not an hour, but 60 hours, six zero, two and a half days. Why? Because the hope to come changes our here and now. When you have a hope to come of what is in eternity, you can get through the heartache of today. You can get through the crying and the depression and the anxiety and the relational woes. All of the hardships that are in our lives today. When you know what is to come. When you know that you have a God who loves you, that wants to spend eternity with you and give you eternal rest. When you know what is to come, it changes your today. And you could say, I'm going to continue glorifying God. I'm not going to give up. For the rest of my life, I am going to do everything to God's glory. Because at the end of the day, every hardship that we face is only temporary. It is not forever. It could feel like that, right? In the midst of all of the difficult things in life, it can feel like, man, is this ever going to end? I can promise you this. Yes, it will. And if you trust Jesus with your life, you will spend your life with Him in eternity. Where there is no more crying, there are no more woes, there is no more sickness, no more death, no more anxiety, no more depression, no more hardships, but only rest with our God. And that can encourage us here today when we know that there is a hope to come. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God who wants to offer us rest, who wants to offer us life with you eternally, where we get to spend our lives the way that you created us to live, which is with a relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for making all of that possible by dying on the cross, by offering it to a free gift to each and every one of us. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who has not accepted you yet, that today would be their day. They wouldn't keep putting it off, but God, that we would be reminded our time is limited here. Our lives are not forever. God, would you help us to accept you now? If there's someone here today who maybe they've been, they've just been through the ringer, Man, the hardships, the crying, the woes, anxiety, the depression, it just feels like it is just piled up throughout life. And things just continue to be bad and just horrific in our lives. God, I pray that You would encourage us. That regardless of what is happening, Jesus, You would encourage us that if we trust in You, that we will find our place eternally with You. A restful place filled with each and every other person who has accepted you as their Lord and Savior throughout all of time. That we can live eternally worshiping you in your standards, not our earthly standards, but by your standards. Jesus, we thank you for that. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for wanting to spend eternity with us. Even through the midst of our sins, our mess-ups, God, you still look at us, each and every one of us, and you say, I want to spend eternity with you. I want to fulfill you. So God, help us to live our lives in a way that would honor you, that would honor the gracious and merciful God that you are. Thank you. Thank you for being good. Thank you for wanting to spend eternity with us. Help us to worship you because of it. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.